Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my pleasure to welcome Kyle Coleman to the show. Welcome, Kyle. Hello, Jeremy. Kyle is the VP of Revenue Growth and Enablement at Clary, their revenue operations platform that helps go-to-market teams drive more pipeline and boost their forecast accuracy. Uh, I've been a Clary customer at, at many places, actually, so I can definitely attest to the quality of the platform. Our topic for the day, just to preview that, is we're going to talk all about running effective just-in-time sales enablement programs. Before we get into our, our topic of the day on enablement, I'd love to ask so I can get great book reading ideas. Uh, what's your favorite sales book of all time and perhaps one or two of the key takeaways? Yeah, for sure. Well, first, I want to say thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. Super excited to to be here. Big fan of the show. So it's an honor being here. So many good ones to choose from. I recently picked up Extreme Ownership, actually, after having listened to the episode you did with Colin Cadmus, and that so many takeaways from that. I don't even know where to begin. Highly recommend that. But and to uh, kind of differentiate here a little bit, I just picked up Radical Candor Again, I, I try and read it every year. Uh, Radical Candor is a book by Kim Scott that's all about giving and receiving feedback. And the main thesis is that in order to give good feedback, you have to both care personally about the person and be willing to challenge them directly. So she draws this beautiful quadrant of what happens when you don't care, but you challenge or you care too much, but you challenge incorrectly. And it's a really, really great framework for giving and receiving feedback. And I can't recommend it highly enough for salespeople everywhere. I second the motion on both books and I whatever quadruple the motion on Radical Candor. When I first read that book, I loved the book. And weirdly, I didn't get it, even though that two by two matrix that you just described, the care deeply and challenge directly is literally on the cover of the book. And yep. I just, I didn't get it. And it wasn't until I was sitting in an executive coaching session that the executive coach drew that matrix and asked me where I sit, but where do you feel you sit? Why, why does that book resonate so deeply with you? Yeah, I think that especially early in my management career, I was very much in the top left corner of the quadrant, which is caring personally about the people, but being a little timid or silent with feedback. And this quadrant, Kim Scott calls a ruinous empathy, which I think is pretty good because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or you feel like the feedback that you're going to give them is, is going to be unproductive for whatever reason. And what's really interesting is a real life example that, that's called out is when you have something in your teeth, are you happy when somebody tells you about it? And the answer inevitably everybody gives is, yes, I want to know. <laughs> but still, it's so hard giving people that feedback because you care about them, but you don't want to hurt their feelings or come off strange or something like that. And so just a, a really simple little thing that I keep in the back of my mind to be like, look, they need this feedback. It's helpful for them. It's helpful for me, my team, my company. Just say it. And so I, I feel like now I'm much, much more in that top right quadrant, although I, I definitely do kind of fluctuate more toward that silent, overly empathetic quadrant. Yeah. I wonder if it's most people are there. I'm certainly there in the rudest empathy quadrant. And I have to constantly remind myself and push myself to challenge more directly. I do feel you have to earn the right to challenge directly. And maybe that's just yep. my sort of talking myself into it. But that if you just challenge directly and then try to build empathy, that's much, much harder than, you know, showing the empathy and earning the right. 
Yeah. And I think one other sort of extension of that thinking is that the purpose of challenging directly, of course, is to change somebody's mind about something, right? And so you are hoping that they are open-minded enough to be able to change their mind. And the flip side of the same coin is true, which is you need to be willing to change your mind. You are not always right. And if you have a discussion and you give feedback and they disagree in a thoughtful way and they give you the right rationale and you realize that you're not thinking about things correctly, you need to be willing to change your mind about that. And that's a very, very important part of this radical candor framework. Something that helps me is separating the person from the work, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just this work is unacceptable. It's this work is unacceptable, but you are better than what this work that you did. You know, challenging directly doesn't mean being a jerk. Totally. That's exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, kind of tying the two books together, Extreme Ownership and Radical Candor, I think one of the main lessons from Extreme Ownership is you need to ensure that everybody on your team understands the broader context, you know, the, the broader mission that either your team, department, or company is trying to pursue, and then couch the feedback through the lens of that broader vision. That way they understand how the day-to-day work they're doing or the project that they're working on or, you know, the area of improvement, how and why it matters at a higher level, not just because, you know, the, the one-on-one conversation you're having. Look at you tying those books together. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume before you went into sales enablement, you were on the other side being trained during the time you were at, you know, you were a looker for a long time, something that we actually use internally at Sales Loft. But what were some of the better trainings and some of the worst trainings you encountered? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it's more of the latter, <laughs> more, uh, more enablement trainings that were not necessarily structured in a way that was really good for learning and for for learning lessons that stuck. And what I mean by that is Looker's approach to sales enablement, and I think most companies' approach to sales enablement is we're going to have a weekly meeting, we're going to cobble together a, a topic three or four days ahead of the meeting, we're going to try and make it valuable for salespeople, maybe there's a topic du jour or some sort of marketing campaign or something that we need to enable around, and we're just going to hope that it works. You know, It's a 60-minute or a 90-minute session where we have all the salespeople in the room and we want to give them as much information as possible. And what I found, and I'm curious if, if you agree with this, is that very little of that information actually ever stuck with me or with the field or, you know, with the people in the room. You know, I I would say maybe of that 60 minutes, maybe 10% of the information is actually retained. And that's not good enough. (laughs) It's a real issue because it, it drives a huge disconnect where the enablement team feels like the field knows what they need to know to do their jobs well, but the field doesn't actually know and is kind of afraid to give feedback because they just sat through an hour long session and and they should have some sort of basis or foundation for knowledge. Has that been your experience with enablement sessions in the past? Yeah. And even, even more broadly, I, I worked for a couple of years for a leadership training company. And as I do in all jobs, I leaned in to that area, You know, not just the discipline of sales and marketing, which is what I was working in there, but also just the whole thing around professional development and learning. And from all the kind of academic articles and books and whatnot that I read, it is absolutely notoriously difficult to measure any sort of return on learning, right? And certainly the like sit in a classroom for an hour or even sit in a classroom the old school way for for days on end, you know, you then measure the retention of that knowledge, weeks, months, whatever, and it's incredibly low. So yeah, I mean, if that didn't work for you, what have you found works better? 
there's a gentleman named Eli Cohen. He runs a company called Saleshood, and they put out really, truly phenomenal content, kind of similar to the way Salesloft puts out great content for uh, sales engagement type things. Saleshood puts out great content for sales enablement, and they have a really strong perspective on effective teaching, effective learning, and therefore effective sales enablement. And one of the main principles that they espouse and abide by is quick hitting, mostly video-based content, mini lessons that are video-based content that are dripped out over a course of a couple weeks or even months in order to fully train and teach a lesson or a concept. When there are big rocks, you know, there's a, a new product or a new persona that we're targeting or something like that, you know, something that's a really meaty topic. What we do is we kind of have a one, two, three step program that we take to enablement. The first step is what I just described, a series of quick hitting, short videos, often repeating a lot of the similar concepts over and over again. And these are all served through our LMS. We use Lessonly internally for an LMS. So we ensure that everybody in the field is completing those lessons on time. We have very good delinquency reporting. We have managers who are totally bought in. You know, They will complete a series of anywhere between one and five very quick lessons ahead of the enablement session that we have. And the purpose of those lessons, the prereq or the pre-work lessons as we call them, is to lay the foundation, get all the remedial stuff out of the way, all the simple messaging, positioning, whatever it is that you'd feel like you don't need to discuss live in a live session, get that all out of the way early. That way, when you do have the 30, 45, or 60 minute session, it's not remedial content. All of the foundation is already laid. And so the live session is very much more of a Q&A with the field. You know, we get a lot of the pre-work. We'll have a certification afterward where we'll ask them, you know, what is still unclear to you about this? What would you like to cover in the live session? And then we have a, a pre-built list of, of FAQs that we try and have our subject matter experts answer in the live session. And the live session is then followed with post-work, again, in our LMS that is created after the live session, hitting on whatever the main moments of difficulty were in the live session or whatever was still unclear, we hammer those lessons home in the post-work. So that's how we approach enablement here at Clary. I'm curious on the pre-work, do you have any sort of stick in place? So for example, you're like, you're a pariah or somehow not able to attend the live session if you have not completed the pre-work? We haven't had to do that yet, Jeremy. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're still <laughs> we're still small enough. We have about forty uh, salespeople. We have about fifteen SDRs, uh, and then a smattering of of CS and renewals and things like that. Uh, so no, we haven't yet had to bust out the stick. Um, right now, just the the shame of it <laughs> is enough to to get people going. I should also say we have a very curious revenue team, and so they legitimately want to be able to do their jobs better and they enjoy the enablement content that we have because it's easy to consume. So that makes it much, much more simple. It's not, you know, sit through a 60 minute recorded session where it's just kind of boilerplate information and you're not going to get anything out of it. It's curated, it's for them and it's useful. And we really take their feedback seriously to keep improving. So I'd love to go deep into some of the sort of how you construct the pre-work piece and the live session piece. I would assume the post-work is, is pretty similar to the, mm -hmm. to the pre-work part. But on the sales enablement side, you, know, you have a lot of options in those tools for the ways you can structure those lessons. What are some of the ones that you, know, you find more effective than others? So one of the core differentiators of Clary is that we have a time series data hub where we're snapshotting all of our customers' Salesforce instances and storing all that data in this time series data hub. 
And this data hub allows Clary to basically do its data science, do its machine learning, apply its artificial intelligence to provide accurate forecasting to all of our customers. And this is, again, like I said, hugely differentiating. It's also pretty darn technical and pretty darn hard to understand. So when we did the enablement session around the time series data hub, the pre-work was not at all about Clary. It was 100% about what the heck is a time series data hub and what does it allow companies or database engineers or data scientists, what does it allow them to do and how? And so it was a mixture, Jeremy, of YouTube videos about time series data hubs, some uh, blog posts, articles, an interview with our internal data science team. It was things like that that were engaging, set a foundation, and allowed us to then talk about Clary in the live session that we did. I can attest, by the way, being a RevOps person, that yep. um, that is a big problem because Salesforce does not snapshot uh, right. in, in that particular way. So it, it does solve a pretty compelling technical problem. One thing I'm thinking about it for the SDRs or AEs, right, is they they learn, especially with super complex things, the sort of fear you have is they go out and they they just parrot what they heard, but they don't even understand the words that are coming out of their mouth. What do you do beyond that to make sure that it's not just a, uh, a parroting, but there is a little bit deeper level of understanding? Right. Yeah. And I think this is part of what makes our approach so useful is that it gives them pretty firm ground to stand on to say, look, conceptually, I now understand what a time series database is. I understand how that's different than a relational database. And I'm, you know, I still need to defer the technical sorts of things when it gets, you know, over too far over my head, but I can at least have a pretty decent foothold in the concepts that I'm exploring with my target audience. It's also useful, Jeremy, that our, our target audience is salespeople. <laughs> so uh, we typically don't get too technical on, on initial calls without a sales engineer. The salespeople and SDRs have enough information to understand the concepts. And then instead of us stopping the enablement at just the conceptual level, you know, what are different types of databases, we go one step further in the live session in the post work where we'll say, okay, you understand the fundamentals now. Everybody in this room knows what a time series database is. Now let's talk about how Clary uses that and more important, what the value is to the people that we're selling to. So now the messaging that our SDRs and our AEs are going to market with is not about the difference between a time series and a relational database. It's about what is the value of this time series data hub? What does it allow us to do in product? And what use cases then can we solve for different target audiences? A lot of these great sales enablement platforms have uh, an ability to have the participant, the rep, record themselves, right? Doing some sort of video. Yes. Huge fan, but it requires a lot of structure and it requires a lot of buy-in from the sales management layer. So what we do from an enablement standpoint is we require, you know, when we're doing a new uh, pitch deck or something like that. In fact, we just rolled out a new, what we call a teach deck at our revenue kickoff in February. And super important, obviously, that our sales team is very, very well versed in this new Teach Deck. And so what we did is we dissected slide by slide the Teach Deck. We have a very thorough uh, suggested kind of bullet point talk track around what the key concepts are that you need to hit on every slide. Then we have a corresponding scorecard that basically asks how well did the presenter hit on each of these key concepts on each of these slides. 
And our management team then receives the submissions of their team and they grade the submissions based on the criteria that we outlined in the scorecard. And then one final step is we publish the leaderboard, stack ranked highest score to lowest score. We publish that every week and give people, of course, an opportunity to improve their score and things like that. But it builds in that accountability, that sense of competition that salespeople really love. One other objection I had is, as I've watched Teach Decks, when they record themselves pitching, it's not particularly interactive, right? It's like they need to hit those key bullet points per slide. And what we really want them to do with prospects is to use it as a discussion guide, mm-hmm. right? Not a presentation, but a, a conversation. Right. And great, great point. And a lot of what we do, Jeremy, when we do these submissions is we have them present to either their mentor, their buddy, or their manager and record that presentation to try and simulate as best we can a an actual, like you said, a conversation, not just you know a presentation. So that's how we try and do it. It's a little more resource intensive, but the, it's definitely worthwhile. You mentioned a mentor. And every time I hear mentor in the context of corporate environments, I always want to ask people about their their mentorship, or as you described, a buddy program. Can you just talk briefly about that? Because I would assume that's instrumental to ramping and ongoing training success. Yeah, very much so. We have pretty prescriptive programs, both for SDRs and AEs to become mentors. And when we talk mentors, we're specifically talking about mentoring them through their onboarding, new hire onboarding, which is anywhere from kind of eight to 12 week timeframe, something like that. So we have criteria to say you can qualify to be an AE or an SDR mentor if XYZ boxes are checked. A lot of it has to do with performance. A lot of it has to do with knowledge and know-how. And as well as your manager needs to approve, of course, that you are a good mentor for a new hire. We don't incentivize our mentors in any other way aside from, hey, somebody did this for you, pay it forward. We danced around the idea of having some cash incentive or some stock incentive or something like that and ultimately landed on, look, the best mentors want to help people because they want to help people, not for any other reason. So we we try and get people who are qualified for this because they're performing well in their role. And then we have pretty structured outline of the things that they need to be covering with their mentee in their weekly or twice a week meetings, the checkpoints, uh, the lessons learned, the things that they should be trying to teach, the best practices, all those sorts of things. It's very structured, very well prescribed. And most important, these plans were put together in tandem with our management. So everybody is on the same page about what needs to happen in this person's new hire period. Let's get back to the live session. So talk to me a little bit about what you guys do in the in the live session to reinforce what they prep for in the pre-learning. Yeah, sure. So typically the pre-learning is more conceptual. It's more of the topics that are underpinning the value that Clary can drive. So once we have those topics and that foundational level set with the pre-work, the live session is a translation of those concepts to Clary's value. So typically we'll have, again, a subject matter expert, whether that's one of our product managers or our PMMs or something like that, own the presentation. It'll be roughly a 45-minute session is typically what we go for. That's about as much time as you can hold somebody's attention. It's 20 to 25 minutes of presentation content, and the remainder is Q&A. And that Q&A list is either just organic questions that come up through the course of the presentation, or it's the list of FAQs that we gathered from people after the pre-work. There was a period of time where I ran a different company. I ran enablement and I had to constantly remind myself, like, you have to enable the managers first, right? You have to train and certify the managers first before you train the reps. That may be implicit in what you do, but I'm, I'm curious your approach there. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. For certain things, like again, this Teach Jack certification that we're doing right now, our first step was certifying all of the managers. So and making them submit their Teach Jack recordings, grading them against the scorecard, giving them notes and feedback about what they could improve, rejecting <laughs> and you know, not passing everybody on their first attempt, rejecting a couple attempts and saying thanks, but back to the drawing board on this one. So we definitely have to get the managers on board first. For things that are more product focused or campaign type enablement things, you know, here's what's coming down the pike from a marketing calendar standpoint, and here's the messaging and positioning you need to know. Less important to get the managers on board first. A lot of times they're just it's totally fine for them to receive that kind of enablement in more of this just-in-time fashion. Um, but that's sort of my perspective on it. How about you? Yeah, I, I do think the manager enablement is is critical. There's certain stuff that just you don't have the time to do like product feature updates and, and mm -hmm. so on. But if you're doing something major, as you discussed before, like a major new product rollout, a major new use case, yeah, the managers absolutely have to be enabled first because all these reps will go through the training. And then after they go through, they need that ongoing repetition from coaching. And the best people to do that is their first line managers. Exactly. Exactly. I was actually, you know, thinking as you were talking through that also about um, a tension that I have observed when creating enablement materials. And you talked about like the involvement of marketing. And this is one of the mm -hmm. classic sales and marketing alignment challenges, which is I often find that the materials that the marketing creates is at a, a higher level of abstraction. Yep. With more fluffiness to it, if I can put it mildly. I'm curious how you work with your marketing team to bring that back to language and visuals and whatnot that salespeople will be comfortable actually saying. It's so funny you should say this. I, I'm blessed to work with a VP of product marketing. Her name is Hila Siegel. She just gets it. She understands. And this relates back to our initial conversation, how we started here talking about radical candor. You just have to tell the marketing team, just be honest with them, like beautiful language, love it, not going to work for sales. And here's why. And you just have to tell it to them straight and say, it's great for that to be the way we message and position on Clary.com. But the way we're actually talking to somebody, we need this language to be humanized. We need it to be relatable and in common parlance. It cannot be in this, as you said, fluffy sort of flowery language that uh, looks good in a display ad, but is not going to resonate when I'm actually speaking to a sales professional on the phone. And I think another thing that helps is what we call just-in-time enablement. So we're, we're borrowing this just-in-time concept from supply chain management. We're giving the salespeople the information that they need when they need it and not too soon or too after they actually need it. So the way that this manifests and the way that we partner with our product marketing team is all around what we call growth campaigns. So growth campaigns are marketing campaigns that are done not necessarily for brand awareness, but are specifically designed for generating marketing qualified leads or for being used in account-based marketing sorts of campaigns. And we have a theme of each of these campaigns. For example, one of our themes will be forecasting, how to forecast better. And the way that our, we work with our product marketing team is we look at what we call an activation calendar is going to be of the content that we have around this forecasting theme. What content do we have? When are we going to market with it? How are we going to market with it? And what message does the SDR team and the AE team need to know about this content? And then what we do is we design a two to five minute video overview of that piece of content that calls out its key value points for different personas 
and we serve that enablement video to the SDRs and to the AE teams a day or two before that content is actually launched and is live. That way, everybody is on the same page, knows when everything is happening, why it's happening, and is able to speak to the exact piece of content that we're putting out into the world. I love that because I've definitely been places where marketing launches a campaign and and sales catches up afterwards to educate themselves on what that campaign is about. Is there any last words of wisdom either for enablement professionals or for sales managers or for frontline sellers themselves that you'd like to leave people with? Yeah. I mean, to sum everything up here, I think just be really honest with yourself about how much information you're trying to get across in each session that you do. Always remember that less is more. And you can do a lot of smaller things instead of doing one big thing and you'll get much better results. Very, very sage advice. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for being on the show. If people want to get in touch, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Feel free to check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, It's really the only social channel that I am active on. I'm just Kyle T. Coleman on LinkedIn. Um, Feel free to reach out. Happy to talk shop, go back and forth, uh, whatever it is. Happy to do it. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.